our daily bread you said you would supply all our needs according to on your radio dial. If you are just now joining us, we are Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church, located at 1720 J Street. We invite you to come and worship with us Saturdays at 11.15 a.m. Our speaker today is Pastor Tammy Lindsay. She is currently serving in the capacity of pastor at a Mountain View Seventh-day Adventist Church. Also, she has been a practicing attorney for 13 years in California and in Michigan. She desires that everyone who meets her meets her loving Savior, Jesus Christ. The next voice you will hear after the worship and song is Pastor Tammy Lindsay. Open your hearts and be ready to receive the message God has for us through his servant. One of my favorite hymns is this one I'm about to sing. When all else is gone, there's nothing else that we can rely on. We can always trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Jesus 
Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to
and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him. Trust also in him. Righteousness is the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. took me and stood me in front of a mirror and she said, when you hit your teenage years, I don't want you to say, who am I? She said, look in the mirror, that's you. And I was just kind of confused. I saw me every Actually, I never started to wonder who I was, never. I never had that question in my mind until I actually started to seek after what God wanted me to be, which was sometime around the age of 30. Not that I didn't pray. Not that I didn't ask God for you're really like, you know, Lord, what am I going to be when I grow up? I'm going to be, well, I can't be a doctor because I don't like blood. And I don't like math, so I can't be an accountant. And I don't like school, so I can't be a teacher. And I don't want to be poor, so the only thing left is to be a lawyer. I mean, there's actually a lot of other things, but this is the thought process in my head as a child. So I, I knew a lawyer. I talked to him. I liked him. I said, I'm, I'm going to be a lawyer like this friend of the family. I grew up, I became a lawyer. And I prayed about it. It's not like I didn't pray. I said, Lord, help me to be a good lawyer. Help me to get good grades. You know, help me to work hard and be focused. You know, help me to have more energy. Because I had to work through high school and I had to work through And one day I'll have to tell you about all the grace that I got and ended about my senior year of college. And the people know how I feel. So I got grace. The Lord was gracious to me. It's interesting, though. I never asked God. I never said, God, what do you to do today. Is there anybody here that wakes up and says, good morning, Jesus, how are you today? If you said this, do you expect an answer? If you say to anybody else, 
you expect an answer. Even if it's a fake answer, oh, I'm fine. You expect an answer. Well, about 30, I started to really focus on this thing that, that like God was a person. He had a personality. He had feelings. He talks. He walks in the Garden of Eden. He looks for his children. He wants to walk with them. He built a tabernacle so he could be with them. And I thought, well, he's like a person then. He, you know the song, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. I come to the garden alone. You know? Well, I've been praying all these years, but I haven't yet had a normal conversation with God, like, like I have with normal people. I didn't say good morning, and then I started to change, I changed my prayers. I said, I would go, I said, good morning, Jesus, and how are you today? And sometimes I just got a good feeling, and sometimes I didn't get a good feeling. And I'd say, well, Jesus, doing okay, but I really don't want to get up this morning because I have all kinds of work to do. So I would really like to just stay here and sleep. And I said, but you know, I, I've got a sister and a mom that I need to take care of and I have all these other things I have to do. And I would start to ask him, tell him about the people I wanted him to bless and my concerns. That was very intentional. I wanted to have a real relationship with Jesus. I had been in the church since I was born. And I don't mean just the Seventh-day Adventist church. I mean in church. I went to Sunday churches, and then my mom became a Seventh-day Adventist, and I went to Saturday churches. I went to Saturday Pentecostal churches. I went to Seventh-day Baptist churches. I was raised in the church. My mother was Pathfinder leader. She was a deaconess. She was... She did song service. You couldn't come into the church no matter what church she was at and not meet my mother and not meet me. I was a junior deaconess. I was, and by the way, I was bad. Those of you who heard my sermon before recall the stories. I was not a good child. One of the reasons I was a junior deaconess is because I could run in and out with permission. Because I had to walk people in. And so since I couldn't sit still, they just worked with me. You know, they said, why don't, let's, let's listen to kids pick up offering. And what they really meant was, let's let Tammy pick up offering because she won't be still. And we're tired of watching her mother spank her out of the church. So that is not an exaggeration. I wanted a real relationship. Church is nice and church is fun. But I wanted it to be real in my life. I wanted a real God for my real life. And then as I started trying to have real conversations with God, I realized that I never really asked him, do you want me to be an attorney? Now, by the way, I already was an attorney. I had a practice. I had my own practice. I'd been an attorney for a few years. This is a little bit late. But I started to ask the question, am I, you know, before I prayed, I'd say, let me give you honor in my practice. Let me lift up your name in my job. Let me be an honest attorney. It exists. Let me somehow show Jesus in what I do. But now the question was, am I doing what you want me to do? What is it? And before I asked that question, I remember thinking the question in my prayer and stopping, because I was like, what if he doesn't want me to do this? What am I going to do? I've never imagined doing something else. And by the way, I like what I do. I don't want to change. So I pondered this for several days, and I imagined all the different things, and, and I said, okay, even if he picks something that I don't want to do, 
And I want to tell you that God has a sense of humor. So some of the things I imagined were being a garbage man. And some of them were picking up people's garbage and their and I, I understand, I was an attorney, so I didn't use pretty language. I actually said bad words. And I, so I imagined all the bad words that I could be doing and saying and picking up. And then I finally let it go. I thought about how much God loved me. How much he had shown evidence of his love for me. Though my parents were divorced, they loved me. I had someone in my life who cared about me. I had some friends, not a lot, but I had a few good friends. I was successful in the job I currently had, despite the fact I've never even asked God if that's what he really wanted me to do. So I said, all right, I'm just going to go ahead and ask him. And I, as I asked him, I said, I'm going to do it if he asks me even if it's crazy and whacked out, because he has given me evidence that he loves me. We look in the Psalms sometimes, and it talks about remembering what God has done in the past. If you're suffering with, you don't know if God loves you, look at what he's done in the past for other people. And then look at your life. See if you see some things in so anyways, I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And he didn't answer immediately. And I was getting a little like, this isn't a real conversation if you don't answer me. But it, it did force me to continually repeat and get really committed to getting an answer. Because I was like, if you're not going to answer me, then that means you're not real. And I said, but I really think you're real. I think you're alive. I don't think I have a dead God that's some figment of my imagination. I think you're real. So I said, I, you know what? I'm just going to keep asking, and I'm not going to change anything in my life until I get an answer. And that was actually kind of stressful because things started to happen in my life, but I already made this internal commitment not to change. So I didn't change. And I said, Lord, you're about to make me shame. I'm about to get malpractice because I'm so busy, but I have promised not to do anything different until you answer me. And that became my prayer. Good morning. I still haven't heard anything. But I'm waiting on you. And he answered, and it was not something I expected. That is interesting. But he says, my plans are not your plans. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens is above the earth, so are my thoughts. So I eventually, he answered, and he said crazy stuff like, go feed my sheep. I, I, I don't even grow plants, let alone take care of, like, farm animals. You want to hear something really ironic? So years later, I decided to follow him shortly thereafter. I closed my practice. I went through all this stuff, and... And it was cool. It was actually a really cool experience. There was some drama, but it was cool. My parents thought I lost my mind. My friends thought I was crazy. I got broke. Uh, yeah, all that stuff happened. I'm obviously okay. Um, and a lot of really cool stuff happened. I went traveling cheaply. I, you know, I, I went to Africa. I went on a safari. I petted, like, lions. I went in a playpen with baby lions. We were both fighting. I had these wonderful adventures. But the important thing is that I did, I gave God the chance. I asked him what he wanted. He told me what he wanted. It wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I eventually did end up taking care of farm animals. I want you to tell, I want to tell you that. Cows, to be exact. And it was horrible. It was a horrible experience. And, and it was horrible. And that's all I really have to say. It was horrible. <laughs> um, irony of ironies. But interesting enough, God didn't ask me to do that. I ended up doing that because I didn't trust him enough to provide. 
And so I said, well, I got to do what I got to do. And if I got to work with cows at a dairy, that's what I'll do. And he had to show me, Fruit Loop, that is not what I asked you to do. I said, sheep, not cows. <laughs> so I wondered. And some of you may wonder, how did I know God was talking to me? Maybe I was crazy. It's pretty crazy. You got to admit. You're praying one day, and God says, go feed my sheep. You don't do sheep. You're not a farmer. What do you do? How do you know? Time. The first, you have to put yourself in a place where you think that you might hear God. You have to do things that you think you've heard that God may speak to you in an atmosphere where God speaks. You know, you're already here. You're making a move. You're most likely to hear God speak at church. Okay? If you're in your quiet time in the morning or in the evening, wherever your quiet time is, when there's not a lot of rustle and noise, you're likely to hear God speak to you and recognize it. And rest assured that when he speaks, it's not going to be what you think. It's going to be different. If it sounds just like you, it probably is you. Okay? God has a bigger imagination than you do, so he shouldn't sound anything like your voice when you talk to yourself. And I know you all talk to yourself. I am not the only one. Okay? You just don't tell everybody what your conversations are like in your head. Now, when God talks, the first time he talks to you, it may be very simple. It may not be earth-shattering. But he does talk. But, and understand, when he talks to you, he's not really trying to just talk to you like having some nonsensical conversation about the news or politics or religion. He is not trying to have that conversation with you. He is trying to be with you. He's having a conversation so you can know each other. So if he shares himself and he speaks to you, he's speaking to you because he wants you to know I'm here with you. You are not alone. I have spent thousands of years trying to be with you. I want to walk this journey with you. You are my child. I did not create you to leave you and let you die. I created you to be with me so that I could enjoy you. I could have fun with you. That's why I created you. I created you so I could see you have fun with my other children. To share with them the love that only you can give. That's an interesting thought. I wish I'd had it earlier in my life. To realize that I and you, we are messages. We're just messages. We're messages with a big heart on it. We're like Valentine messages. You know when you're a little kid in grade school, and you know, like second and third grade, and you go buy those little cards with hearts that say Happy Valentine, and I love you, and you're my best friend, and, and you put candy in it? Do you guys remember this? Or was I the only one who did this? Okay, thank you, thank you, Jen. I appreciate that. We are those little cards. And it says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in you. But for what? And we think, oh, well, he dwells in me so he can give me the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? So, so I can, like, be a pastor or a teacher or an administrator. I get the gift of tongues. I get the, some gift to do something. Eh. Those are just jobs. Those are tasks. He is manifesting, making himself real, revealing himself through you, through those tasks to other people. Your purpose is to manifest God and reveal him and his love to other people. You're like a love message. God says, hey, 
I'm love, you be love, go give some love to somebody else. That's it. And when you choose not to do that, when you choose not to show love to someone else, you are not living in your purpose. You will not be satisfied. You will not be happy. You will find yourself looking in the mirror saying, who am I? You will do crazy things. Like you hear about these crazy teenagers that go out and they do these crazy things and they jump off cliffs without parachutes and, and they spend lots of money to defy death because they don't know what they're living for. They have no purpose, reason for living. They do drugs, they do these things looking for their purpose. Their purpose is to manifest God, to manifest a love message to someone else every single day. And it doesn't matter whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, an accountant, or a business person, fine. See what gifts God has given you. Go do it, but go to it knowing that you represent the God of the universe to someone. With you, especially if you're in this church right now. When you walk outside and you say, I went to church, even if you don't say, people know, it's so freaky. You'll go someplace and people go, I know you know Jesus. I had a crazy person say that to me once. I didn't really want to continue the conversation. But he said that. And I was like, do I have a sign? But God puts his stamp on you. When you start looking for him, no. It's not because you just had a bright idea. He's already drawing you. He's already reaching out to you to reveal himself to you, through you, in you, and by you. He's already doing all that. You just got to accept your purpose and walk in it. It's not, it's not like rocket science. That's your purpose. You know, that's so broad, Pastor Tammy. What does that mean? And, and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. What do you like? Spend some time, take some classes. And, and look for where God is already working. You know, we wonder, how do I know? Put yourself where you think you'll hear God. Keep talking to him. Lord, I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing here. The sermon's not touching me. It's really boring. Uh, the songs are old. Blah, blah, blah. Do something. Have that conversation with God. It's not like he doesn't already know what's in your head. Let him know and wait for him to respond. If you think he's real, if you think he's real, give him some time to answer. And keep asking and looking. Ask him, he might be talking to you. Somebody might come up to you and say, hey, we're gonna, um, we need a sign at church. Can you draw? Maybe you can't draw, but maybe you should give it a try. You know, you might find out that you actually can draw. You might actually find out that you really have no skill whatsoever in artistry. You have no taste and no talent. But you might know somebody who does. You just found your calling. Your job might be to find other people. That, by the way, is a skill. It's called the skill of administration. <laughs> We all have something. Some of us are like mediocre at everything, okay? We're just, we are gap fillers. When nobody does their job, we can do it till somebody else takes the job. So if you're like, I'm not an A student, I'm not even an F student, nobody pays attention to me. I just get through school and the best I got is a C. And sometimes it's a C minus. Be a gap filler. C minus is better than nothing. And if somebody says, you're like, you're like, we don't have anybody to sing today. You're like, oh, I can carry a note. I know the words. Carry the note. At least somebody's up there. You never know. God might take the little that you have and make it great. 
you might be the reason, the catalyst for the person who really can sing like Whitney Houston or CeCe Winans to like get up and sing because they're like, dude, look at her. She's horrible. I could do better than that. And they might actually get into their calling because you just did the best that you could. But if you don't walk in your calling and you stay doing nothing, rest assured you will get nothing. Okay? God has already given you strength. If you don't use it, God's like, what do you want me to do? I gave you everything you needed to get started. What do you want from me? Understand the person who asks you, hey, do this job. Try this. That could be God. If you've been praying for your purpose and then somebody asks you to try something, you say, oh, I'm not good at that. Hello? It's like the dude in the helicopter, right? There's a flood, right? He's not in the helicopter because he's not smart. So there's a flood, and he's praying. He's like, Lord, save me from the flood, right? And, and at this point, the flood's only at the stairs of his house, and, you know, a, a jeep drives by, and he doesn't get in. And they say, come in, jump in the, the car, you know, let's go. And save He's like, no, no, I'm praying. The flood gets higher. He's on the second floor. The Coast Guard comes by and says, hey, jump in the boat. And he says, oh. He's like, no, I'm praying. I'm waiting for the Lord to answer. So finally, the flood is over the roof of his house, and he's starting to drown. And, and the helicopter says, guy, grab the ladder. Let's pull you. He's like, I'm waiting on the Lord. He dies. And God has grace. So, so in the second coming, he rises again, and he, gets, and he gets to heaven. And his first question to Jesus is, Jesus, why did you let me die? And he's like, dude, I sent you a jeep. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. What do you want from me? Sometimes God is answering, but we're not paying attention. We have in our minds what we're looking for. We're looking for the parting of the Red Sea. We're looking for the parting of the Jordan. We don't realize that the mere fact that somebody walked up to us who we didn't talk to is a miracle. The, that somebody looked at us out of for no reason and asked us, can you help? Would you like to do this? The fact that we saw a paper that listed things and you saw it, that's amazing. God doesn't always work with fire from heaven and parting of oceans and all these sorts of things. Remember, Elijah, it's a still, small voice. God's power is not revealed in, in the burning up of Sodom and Gomorrah. His greatest power is revealed in the changing of the human heart. His greatest power is revealed in the fact that he can work to change the history of a nation from a, a little boy born from a questionable mother, possibly illegitimate, who's, has, who's unimportant in a little town, small village, okay? We're in a cave, basically. He can change the way time is kept from B.C. to A.D. That's how God works, to make a carpenter's son who only did his main ministry for approximately three years. That's how God works. You could have wasted your life. You could be the broken vessel that has, that, that sinned, that spent most of your life sinning and wrong. You could, you could be like Paul, but a super evil Paul, not even working for religion and just, just doing dirt. And God could take the last year of your life and change the world. But if you don't try, if you don't give yourself the opportunity, you will never know. God may still have grace on you like the thief on the cross. And we have a story about him. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Because our God is gracious. But couldn't he have had that peace for years? I'm going to tell you the story of a little boy named Samuel. And Samuel didn't know the voice of God. If you look at 1 Samuel, and you look at chapter 3, some of us may wonder 
you know, I, God doesn't talk to me. I don't really know anybody who God actually speaks to. I mean, a few crazy pastors talk about God speaking to them as sheep and stuff. But I don't really know anybody where God speaks. At least nobody tells me. And, and if you look in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, you'll find out in, in verse 1 it says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Is that possible that that's kind of like today? You're in the church. You're doing what you know to do, which honestly may not be much. But you don't see God revealed. And as you go through the story, you find out about Eli. He's the priest. I don't know. Maybe the, the people you see leading out have messed up lives. Okay, their, their kids are bad. You know their kids because you hang out with them. They, they seem like weak leaders. They, don't, they talk all this stuff about God is strong and powerful, but they don't do nothing. They talk about we need to fight for the Lord, but you don't see them fighting. You got Eli, and his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. So here is Samuel, and... He's in the temple, and he hears a voice, and he says, the voice says, it's interesting, it says, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, this is verse 3, Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called to Samuel, and he answered, here I am, and so he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me, and Eli said, I didn't call you, go lie down again. The Lord called yet again, Samuel! And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. And he answers, I didn't call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. It's possible that you are hearing the Lord's voice and you don't know it. You're just unaware. The Lord's not going to stop calling you because you don't recognize his voice. He's going to keep calling you until you and louder. And it's interesting to think about that in the circumstances of life because it's nice, you know, like when you recognize the Lord's voice first, it's easier. But if you wait a while, it doesn't get so easy. I've known people who've had some horrible things happen in their lives, and that's when they recognize the voice of God. But that was the only way they, their eyes would open to see. And remember, God is all about you knowing him because he wants to give you perfect peace. He doesn't want you stressing out and freaking out in your life and worried your whole life. So what he will do is he will bring you to the point of no return. He will. So that you recognize his voice and then you can choose him and have perfect peace that passeth all understanding. Because when nobody else is there, you only have, you can hear the one still small voice. And the Lord called to Samuel again the third time. And so he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you did call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Sometimes the, the old folks in the church might be a little slow. They might not get it. They may not recognize that God is talking to you. And they may give you, at first, some not-so-good advice. But don't give up on them because um, they do have more experience. They've messed up a few times. They have probably been to the point of no return. You, they just need a reminder. And they've got some wisdom for you. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. When you're ready to hear God and you're ready to say, speak, Lord, I'm listening 
your servant hears, your servant. I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Now the Lord came and stood. Before he just called, now he came and stood. And Samuel answered. Oh, and he called, he said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, look, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. That's some serious words. Have your ears ever tingled when you heard something? I've gotten the chills when somebody's told me something really weird. It like tripped me out. You hear something that makes your ears tingle. You know, that's just, he's just saying, Samuel, I got a message for you to pass on. It's a serious message, and I want everyone in here and who can hear my voice to know God has a message to send through you that's going to make people's ears tingle. And not all the same people. So don't feel like, well, if, if she's making somebody's ears tingle, then I can't. No, you have different people who you can make their ears tingle. Different. Still special and unique. God has a message. And, and God had a message for Samuel to give to Eli. But, and it was not a happy message. Sometimes love is not all flowers and candy. Sometimes love is, fool, there's a ditch over there. You're about to fall in it. Sometimes that's the message. That's love. And if you don't give the message, that's on you. If God has given you a talent or a gift to reveal his love to someone and you don't do it, and that person suffers because you had a message of love to give to them and you did not do it, that's on you. God says, watchman, if I give you a message and you don't give the message and the righteous man falls, his blood is on you. But he says, watchman, if you have a message and you give the fool, the unrighteous man, a message and he turns from his wicked ways, you have saved a soul and your own. If you give the message, watchman, and the person doesn't turn from their ways, but you gave the message, you are free. You have done all you can do. Understand, he says, cast your burdens on me. Take my burden. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So whatever you're stressed about, you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Give it to God. He's like, I'm the one who's ultimately responsible. I'm God. Whatever happens, good or bad, I'm responsible. I have the power to change it. But what does he tell you? He says, look. And I'm going to quote a verse you're going to think, Tammy, this has nothing to do with me. He says, bring me all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. Malachi. You read it all the time when you give offering. We don't often think of ourselves as the tithe, but I want you to know you are the tithe. You are the offering. Where is Malachi? Zechariah and Malachi are there. Here we go. Malachi 3. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger. Wait. Yes, this is it. Before, it talks about what we always quote, where it says, will a man rob God in verse 8? Let's go to the very beginning of chapter 3. Behold, Malachi chapter 3, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. Who is that? That's Jesus. In whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. But who can endure the day of his coming? Are you ready? Are you ready to hear what God has to say about your purpose? 
Is your purpose so big that you'll be too scared to take it? If God gives you, if he comes to you, he's going to tell you about his purpose for you. And let me tell you, God has big plans and big dreams for you. His thoughts are more than can be numbered for you. He has plans to prosper you and bring you to an expected end. His plans are so big for you, you might not want to do it because you're afraid of failing. Or you're even afraid that if you succeed, that scares you too. Is it possible that God thinks you're so great and amazing and you don't think you're great or amazing? And you're too afraid to find out. And it says, who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. So he's going to burn you clean and he's going to wash you clean. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. You are the sons of Levi. We are in New Testament times. We are the priesthood. We are the ones who tell people that they are saved through Jesus Christ. We're the ones who tell them. We're the ones that tell them that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he didn't send the son to condemn them, but to save them. That's our job. Purge them. He will purify the sons of Levi. You got drama. I was looking around during the service, and I was like, some of y'all got drama. You in a church, and you are not happy. You're not sad. You're just... I'm here. I'm trying to get my praise on, but it's not working. And I was like, this is bad. Because it says the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Why can't we praise him? Why can't we, why can't, why aren't we manifesting him now in the church of the believers where he should be the most present? Because some of us are going through a refining process. Some of us are in the point of no return. Even though we're in the church or we show up at church, we haven't yet responded to the Lord calling. We haven't said, speak, Lord, your servant hears. We haven't done that yet. So we just suffer. We don't have a peace that passes understanding. We just get burnt. Until we say, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Speak, God. I will do what you ask me to do, even if I don't like it. I work for you. Unless we do that, the fires will burn us. The yoke will be too heavy. The burden will crush you. But it says, he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. If you say, speak, Lord, talk to me. Tell me what you want, God. Tell me where to go. He's going to make you like gold and silver. That they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. You give your tithe and you're like, I give my 10%. I give another 5 or 10 for offering. And we think we've done, done something. I mean, at least it feels like it because you don't have that much money. Keeping it real. But let me tell you, does God need your money? No, he don't need your money. Other people need your money. But God doesn't need your money. The people in your congregation need food. They need help. They need a pastor to talk to them because they can't afford to pay a therapist. They need to come someplace where they feel safe because they don't have any place to go, so they need a building to come and worship in. They need the lights to come on. There's people in foreign countries who need to hear the love of Jesus. That's what your tithe and offering are for. But you, God wants you to be the gold and the silver. He wants you to bring yourself to him and offer yourself and say, Lord, tell me what you want from me. I give myself to you. Use me. Work through me and in me and by me. Okay, Lord, just take me. That's the offering that the Lord wants from you. You want to know what that's called? That's the stewardship of service. Okay? That's actually what Malachi 3 is about. The whole thing of Malachi is really about the jacked up priests and stuff 
who don't do what they're supposed to do and cheating on their wives and divorcing their wives and doing all this evil nonsense is really, really quite interesting, actually. And he says, I want you to offer yourself. Let me do you good. He says, I will work in you to do my will. I will work in you to do my good pleasure. He says, I will turn your heart to me. He says, and you're like, I don't know, my heart's pretty bad, and I don't really think about God very much. You know, and once I leave the church, it's on. Life is on, and I just get back to my old ways. You, you all can read, most of y'all, the Ten Commandments. Somebody can tell you what they say. They, you can see you're a sinner. Almost everybody out in the church and outside knows that they, they're messing up on the law somehow. And most of us are messing up big time, okay? You just can't see it because we all got nice clothes on and we're not that involved in each other's lives. But most of us are messing up big time. From your pastors, your elders, all the way down. But the fact of the matter is, God specializes in working with unclean things. Things that are broken, things that don't do what they're supposed to do. And he specializes in making them do what they're supposed to do. You know, I can, I can sit at that keyboard and, and I can play Mary Had a Little Lamb, I think. And I can play half of like Chopsticks and some other song. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not a pianist, but if you put a pianist on that keyboard, they can make beautiful hymns that take you to another place, that make you forget your troubles. That's what the God says with you. He takes all the things that make you special, and he shows you what you're really like. He shows you what you can really do, but you've got to let him in. You might say, let him play you. That's what God will do. And then you can offer up an offering of righteousness. And it says, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord. As in the days of old, as in the former years, I will come near you for judgment. And you're like, woo, judgment. But remember, you are already chosen. You are already predestined to be saved. You are already justified, so judgment is judging you safe. You have no need to be afraid. And, and some of you might wonder, you said, but, you know, but I'm really a sinner, so I don't want to take any, I had a friend tell me this, and I had felt like that once, where I didn't want to take any offices in the church because my life wasn't right. Nobody knew it, how jacked up it was, because I was like, I was smart, but... My life was messed up. You know, I, I grew up in the church. I was 30 years old. I was single. I was a lawyer. And I was living a nice, happily secular life, except for on Sabbath. And you know what I did on Sabbath? I hung out with the youth. And we had a good time. I had a bunch of money, so I fed them. And we went hiking, and we went out to eat, and we had fun. And so everybody thought I was wonderful, and I was totally spiritual. I wanted to be spiritual. But I was sinning the rest of the week all over the place. You know, and half the time I didn't even see it that way, but I knew my life wasn't right. So when they asked me to do something in the church, I was like, well, I don't want anybody looking at me and being led astray. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to just be honest. I had a friend of mine, and he was like, Tammy, I can't do that. I was like, well, do something small. I was like, they talked me into doing children's stories. So you, and I'm, by the way, some of y'all remember I first came to Vegas as a volunteer coordinator for the conference. That's one of my gifts. I can talk people into all kinds of stuff that they should do anyways. That's my gift. I'm kind of mediocre. <laughs> I'm a gap filler. I find people who are good at stuff. And I get them to do what God already called them to do. And so I'm talking, trying to talk him into doing children's story with me. Because I was like, look, it's children's story. You can't jack anybody up in children's story. Okay, it's a simple story. You read the story. You make the kids feel good. You teach something about Jesus, and you sit down. It worked. 
so I got him to do children's story. But you know what I realized in that little thing? He had a gift. I had a gift as a children's story person as well. That was the first time, the very first time God spoke to me was about a children's story, which I thought wasn't a big deal and not that important. And that was God's opportunity to talk to me. Give your gift of service. And you may not think it's very important standing at the door. You may not think counting the money is important. You may not think that just helping with Pathfinders once a month, whatever your gift is, there's all sorts of things in the church. You may not think cleaning the church is important, but you never know. One day you might be cleaning the church and you might sit down because you're tired and God may talk to you. He might reveal things to you that you've been wanting to hear your whole life. But you just took a job to help out at the church. That's still doing something for you. You know? You let God work through you in any way. You don't do it for you. Because it is God who will send you where you do not belong. And lastly, you know, there's what if I pick the wrong job and I horrible. You could be horrible. I had a friend of mine, and I love her to death, but she cannot sing. This child decided she was going to be the hymn leader. She couldn't carry a note. But you know what? We felt like God was calling her to sing, so we suffered for months. We did. The whole church. And she liked it. So we couldn't even get her down, and she couldn't sing. Praise God he gave her a gift. She can carry a note now. She knows every hymn in the hymn book and all the new songs that come out, all the new praise songs, and she can carry a note. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is the situation with Samuel. He hears God's voice. He anoints the first king of Israel, Saul. And Saul is a failure. Saul disobeys God. He doesn't obey God. And Samuel mourns for him. He's like, I'm more, he's like, what did I do? You may do something you think God is calling you to do. And you might find out that either God was calling you or maybe you made a mistake. But don't give up. Because eventually, God has Samuel anoint the next king, King David, a man after God's own heart. He had to go through seven sons of Jesse to find the forgotten son, David. David, the king from which Christ comes. You never know. You might fail. You might mess up. But don't give up. Because through you, somebody's going to meet Jesus. We met Jesus because Samuel kept looking and he kept listening to the Lord. With all that said, to him who will keep you and present you faultless, God will present you faultless. There's something else I got to share with you. Christ, when you are called and you're trying, don't let anybody get in your way. You're trying to follow the Lord. If, if, if your best friend comes to you like Peter and says, no, Lord, no. Say, get thee behind me, Satan. Put your arm around his shoulder afterwards because that's kind of intense. But keep going. Your family brothers, but those who seek the will of the Lord. But you don't have to walk over them to get to where God wants you to go, because even Christ, it said, he did to break a bruised reed. He didn't put out a smoking torch, which means if someone was hurt, he didn't finish them off. He loved them, and sometimes he just went a different way, just to go around them. But keep your calling answer to God for that and that's your peace Christ hung on the cross and he came to a place and 
darkness between, what is it, the, the ninth and the twelfth hour, which all darkness, you will come to the place when you are following God, and you won't know, and it will be all black. And you will say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I tried, I looked, I thought I did what you said, and now it's all messed up. Commit your way to the Lord. Christ said, I commit my spirit to the Lord. And he died. Cast your burden on the Lord. And in three days, Christ was resurrected. God will give you resurrection power. Walk in faith, even in the face of darkness. Commit your way to the Lord. He will give you the desires of his heart. And what does the text say? And your righteousness spring forth like the noonday sun. The Son of God will rise upon you and glorify you. You will not be ashamed. He promises. He is faithful. And when Christ rose from the grave, he said, all power has been committed unto me. And then he sat at the right hand of the Father. And it says in Ephesians, he gave gifts to us. That's resurrection power. Bow your heads with me. Father God, grant us resurrection power. You are the God who keeps us and presents us faultless for your glory. Let your love be manifested in us that other people might meet you and fall in love. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.